The morning opens drizzly and windy. I hear Floris and Marjolaine packing up, their voices low as they shake off their tent and quickly move on. We're crowded into Carol's backyard in Waikane, a generous Kiwi we met at a hut in the Tararuas, who invited us all over for dinner, beer, and a soak in the hot tub. This was a glorious pit stop after such a long and hard hike through the Tararua range, but I was the only one who opted to walk the entire way, over 20 miles after some hairy river sidling of mud, roots, and steep hills, then over a small mountain before roadwalk. I felt pretty tough last night, but this morning, I'm exhausted, and I've absolutely hit my limit with rain. Come on already. Carol's left already for work, but Brent's home, and he makes me some tea. Their home is so warm and welcoming. I suddenly start crying. Poor Brent has no idea what to do. So, he makes me a grilled cheese sandwich. And then he makes me another one before chucking my mud-soaked clothes in the washer and drying the alley coop with a couple of old towels. He even scrubs the mud from my trail runners as I snuggle in with their sweet dog, Max. And in no time, I'm all better. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-Rag, shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Leckie for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Leckie trekking poles should be in your hands. Also, Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. I really wimped out that morning at Carol's. But the previous day was pretty rough and unexpected. It's funny how that is on thru-hikes. Just when you think you've checked off the hardest section of the walk, one springs up at an unlikely location. There's a big group of us at the Waidaweiwei hut in the Tararuas. I suppose I should take just a moment to explain about New Zealand's hut culture. It's not entirely unique to this island nation, but there are 1,400 huts scattered over a country with a smaller population than the state of Minnesota, and their value is deeply embedded in Kiwi culture. Huts started out in the 19th century as simple structures with a simple purpose, to shelter from the storm. They were used in the backcountry by farmers, miners, sheep musters, and animal control in a country filled with introduced species like possum and stoat that are wreaking havoc on the bush. Over time, Kiwis developed a nostalgia for huts, So it was only natural at the dawn of the 20th century that huts became a way to create an egalitarian infrastructure around tramping and enjoying the beauty of this land. Hut life demands patience and consideration for each other. It's first come, first serve, and everything is shared. The water in a tank of collected rainwater from the roof, the cooking space, 
usually just one long counter, the drying area, and the bunks themselves, which might be in the Maori tradition of one long shelf where each hiker arranges their mattress in a row. That's how I'm sleeping, up a ladder in the loft with the two Germans I met at Dracophyllum and Kuhn, a Dutch teenager I met way up in Northland. I have tuna for breakfast and wait for the expat from Cornwall named Julian to finish his muesli and coffee because he told me he knows the shortcut across the river. Which it turns out, he doesn't. So instead, we end up crossing in minor rapids before climbing high above the river through muddy blowdowns and tripping roots, me F-bombing for most of the start. Somehow my muddling through and muttering to myself endears me to Julian, and we become like long-lost tramping pals separated at birth. I find it interesting that Julian doesn't muscle the climbs like I do, stepping high and heaving my body over things. Rather, he jumps. It's actually remarkable, his skill at managing this awful root-filled clag, and with only one pole since he snapped the other one yesterday on that savage downhill. So I at least try to mimic his style leaping up and thrusting myself over, under, and down the wild terrain. Julian talks non-stop as we grind away on this misery of a trail, telling me about his wild adventures in New Zealand since he's moved here. He talks about how English people tease relentlessly those they like the most, and he loves the attitude of professional fighters who haze their opponents. That, in particular, opens my eyes to a different attitude, one up for the challenge, and also a bit more pugnacious when the situation calls for it. So they say you can only go one kilometer an hour. (laughs) DOC, or the Department of Conservation, predicts six hours through this awfulness, though we do manage it in four, including a major detour to avoid a massive landslip that looks more like mountaintop mining than an act of nature. We finally reach a calmer grade and cruise into Paraway, where clean, sweet-smelling daywalkers are shocked by the thickness of mud on our clothing. Julian drops his gear next to Carol's car and gives me his last candy bar. It's kind of hard to say goodbye to this man who's become kind of like a wartime buddy. So, we don't. And Julian picks up my pack and carries it up the steep climb towards Mount Puketua. Views open to the higher peaks, mostly with a veil of cloud, and I'm thrilled I pushed hard to catch the two-day window of spectacular weather in the mountains. We do have to finally part, and I learn later that Carol waited an hour at the car for his return. I push on now alone, higher and higher into a mini-goblin forest, before reaching the summit with glorious, though shrouded, views into the Tararua's. I cook a big lunch of noodles, tuna, and olives, then head down, again through dark, ghostly trees, to a forest road on an astonishingly steep section of the Queen Elizabeth National Trust in the process of being clear-cut. At first, I'm not sure if this is trail, but I do indeed need to descend hundreds of feet on loose stones to a river, cross it, then head back up through farms, across a suspension bridge, and finally to road. 
When I get cell signal, I let Carol know I'm on my way, and she sends her boyfriend Brent out to pick me up. But I decline his offer, and he remarks he understands how stubborn us trampers are and allows me to walk the final six miles to town. To be honest, there's so many people doing Tiara. If it is a fallen tree, it's either a fallen tree that you go round, or if it's small, someone else would have pushed it away. You don't need to do track clearing yourself. <laughs> At Carol's, a few beers and a huge dinner await. Carol has hiked all of the Tiara in sections and shares her thoughts on the trail, especially when it comes to the dangerous river crossings ahead on the South Island. But the weather in the South Island is way more predictable. It's drier. Obviously, you get storms at some stage, but it's kind of easier to see. And in the Two Thumbs Range, there's huts every four hours. She tells us what um, we just walked in the Tararuas is the hardest part. Totally and the Tararuas really the hardest? In my opinion, Stag Saddle is higher. It's definitely higher. But the, Then she the hands me a range. towel and sends me to a small bathhouse where I soak in the hot tub with American hits of the 70s cranking. And just as I dry off and head to the alley coop, it begins to rain. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I share my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo middle-aged female hiker in hopes of empowering you to learn to hike your own hike, too. You can subscribe to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, consider leaving a review. That's how other people find the podcast. There is something lovely about the plinking sound of rain on the Alley Coop tarp. I'm dry, warm, safe, so it's a lullaby. And yet, I begin to panic thinking of going back in it again. I begin to wonder if I'm suffering some form of PTSD. I was so strong in the Tararuas, even with the thick mud, steep ascents and descents, that sidling hell along the Otaki River, and developing tachycardia. Yet here I am, 20 feet from a house, and I feel like I simply can't go another step. And the reason is the rain. I think about the English nature writer Melissa Harrison, who purposely explored walking in inclement weather in her famously damp country to see things and feel things as they really are. She writes, To experience the countryside on fair days and never foul is to understand only half its story. This, of course, is true in New Zealand, too. As long as I'm prepared and don't develop hypothermia... Walking in rain is how things are on this land of the long white cloud. But that doesn't mean I can't take some refuge to catch my breath and get brave again. Brent finds it all a bit amusing since, like the English, if Kiwis stayed in when it rained, they'd never go out at all. Brent puts Max on a leash and we head to the estuary, verdant green leading to golden grasses, sturdy flax, and a curling ribbon of sand covered in driftwood, crashing waves in the distance. We hug goodbye just as the sun comes out, and I continue along the boardwalk. I meet a binocular-wearing kiwi, 
who tells me that it's the first time in recorded history dotterels have nested on this beach. When she shows me a photo she snapped of a chick, I immediately exclaim my admiration in baby talk. The rain definitely didn't keep more adventurous types home who are paraponting over the waves on snowboards lifted by colorful sails. I cross fresh water from the Tararuas, tumbling and mixing now with the sea and creating a rich habitat of pukeko, dabchik, terns, stilts, godwit, ryebills and spoonbills, and also myriad oysters. I'm finally back on the beach again and walking on sand, hard, compacted like concrete, my feet crushing into peepees, tiny pools with sandy bottoms in their upturned shell. I pass a family playing beach cricket, loads of dogs and beachcombers, and one child who's willing to wade in on this blustery day. It's high tide, and I'm marooned on a seawall of sand and crushed rock that's hard to negotiate. Eventually, I reach a kind of promenade, and my sore legs get a rest as the waves crash against the stacked boulders to my right. More mountains, well, big hills, really, loom ahead and lead to Wellington under low clouds. It's funny walking a long trail. Everything changes. Just when you get comfortable in one tramping standard, things switch. Views change, weather changes. The vibe is different. It's like life. You can't ever know exactly what's ahead. Perhaps that's the reason to walk in the first place, to challenge expectations and shake up the routine. Brent told me a story this morning about his brother making a Marmite sandwich for lunch every school day over six years straight, not once trying something else. While I find Marmite pretty awful, I still wouldn't make the exact same lunch every day, even with foods I do love. Because the best things in life need space and distance. Sometimes they need comparisons, so we can savor them when we return. As I approach Paikakariki, a family of five plays kub in the sand. I walk into the campsite, and I notice my friend's tents and meet Vera again. She's really tan. Thinking I could get takeaway on the beach, I discovered I'd still have a few more kilometers to go to get to town. So I asked some Kiwis just starting cocktail hour in their Christmas lights decorated region of tents and caravans if they wouldn't mind popping me into town. Natasha volunteers and waits while I get a big sandwich, chips, and chocolate. I bring it back to the campsite and eat it at a picnic table where I meet two American sisters walking the trail who gave up on the Tataduas because of the weather. Devin and Bree are energetic and positive young women who don't seem to be too bothered about missing the mountains. A Canadian joins us next, and we laugh about mud and rain and muse on what's to come on the South Island. I have service here, and I see that Julian texted, asking how I'm doing. I don't have the heart to tell this strong and fast adventurer, my war buddy, that a little bit of drizzle nearly stopped me in my tracks. I then remember his mentioning something about wanting to climb a mountain and watch the sunrise on New Year's. Today is December 30th. Hmm, 
That means New Year's Eve is tomorrow. So I text him back. Hi, Julian. I'm fine, and I'm all the way to Paikakariki. Easy walking on beach and boardwalk. Of course, making no mention of the drizzle. Carol and Brent are awesome, and thanks for introducing us. Say, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. What are you doing? Isn't there a mountain you wanted to climb? The two Americans and Canadian take off, and I sprawl out on the porch, protected by a roof as the rain starts up again. Maybe I was a bit too forward with Julian, I think. I mean, I've got at least a decade or so on him, and he barely knows me. I fuss about with my gear, sorting and resorting, checking to see if I have enough food to last me until Wellington. I wonder what Julian thought of all those F-bombs I dropped when we missed the shortcut and ended up taking the harder route around the Otaki River. I mean, he did carry my backpack up the steep hill. Maybe he just did that because he felt sorry for me. The rain really starts coming down now, and I don't have any more chores to do. So I casually look down at my phone, and I see a text has come in. It's Julian. Okay, let's see what he has to say. Hi, I'll pick you up in Paikakariki tomorrow at noon. Whoa, that's it? Okay, well, I guess I'm not so much of a loser after all. What was the mountain he wanted to climb again? I mean, to see the sunrise, we'd have to be climbing in the dark. Those are all questions I'll get the answers to tomorrow as I zip up my raincoat and run out to the alley coop to get some sleep. Whatever that mountain is, and whenever time we leave, it will definitely be an adventure. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles and Belega Socks for supporting the P-Rag podcast, and also to you for listening. If you're listening on Apple, consider rating and leaving a review. That's what helps other people find the P-Rag podcast. The music you're hearing is me playing my flute from many years ago. You can find the music on iTunes. You can also find the show notes at theprag.com. Next week... My war buddy Julian and I are the first people of the new year to summit the dormant volcano, Mount Taranaki. And in Julian's words, it's absolutely amazeballs. Until then, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails.